So the Lord has um, been on a, a journey with me, or leading me in a journey for quite some time on uh, a lot of things um, agricultural, a lot of things dealing with the earth and the land. It really began uh, last year when I got back from Montana, and I, I did a, a sermon on, uh, on the land in the Bible, right? It's the third most used word in the entire Bible. It's Eretz, land, or Adama, earth, right? It's used all the time, and like I've never really heard a message on just the aspect of land in scripture. And so that's where it kind of began. And it kind of culminated with my, my, my wife uh, going on a crazy journey with me buying a, a small farm. Um, and uh, I feel like the Lord is, is doing something with us with that. And so I've been reading a, a lot of books on uh, the land and the soil uh, and agriculture. You never believe it. There's actually a lot of works out there about that. Uh, and a lot of very interesting perceptions and views of how in the last 100 years we, we as a, a Western world, an industrialized system, have moved so far away uh, from the, the pace of the earth and how we have grown uh, food and raised livestock. Um, it's actually quite amazing in how we are actually destroying portions of the earth uh, from that just because of our not stewarding the earth well, I guess is the best way to put it. And God has made the earth, and he saw that it was good. Uh, and so my heart was just being grieved, um, and I was reading First Kings, and I never saw it this way before, uh, but there's an interesting uh, element here, which I believe the Lord is calling us to, to a, uh, to a church and as a Western church and a Western culture, just really calling us higher. And I believe that we as a people, especially in the Western church, really need to revisit the understanding and the theology of abundance. Because I think we may have gone uh, astray uh, and not looked at it in the right way, to be quite honest, or to be frank. Okay. All right, 1 Kings 10, chapter Sorry, verse, verse 1 of chapter 10. This is a queen of Sheba coming to speak to Solomon and to see Solomon. Very interesting scripture here. <clears throat> now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones, when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Or some translations say, she was breathless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom... And prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants. I want to read this again. 
Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Whew. Lord, we come before you as we have all morning, Lord. We just want to lift up your name in the word. We want to see you hallowed on earth. Before, but, but, but Lord, before we even see you hallowed on earth, be hallowed in our homes. Be hallowed in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach. In the name of Jesus the Messiah. Amen? Amen. All right. So abundance. You know, uh, I think we have to redefine or define abundance in the first matter, right? Uh, according to Merriam-Webster, it's just large quantity of. And uh, I think that, uh, in, in fact, we as a people largely look at that, a large quantity thereof, uh, in a very worldly sense, not in a very eternal sense. You know, we look at abundance as a thing of wealth, of prestige, of power, essentially physical abundance. And what I found to be so interesting in 1 Kings chapter 10 is that when Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon, she sees abundance. She praises him for his abundance of intellect. She praises him for his abundance of food and abundance of wealth and his house and his treasures and his spices. I mean, all of this stuff. But what really hit me here, and there may be a little bit of poetic license or prophetic license with this, is verse 8. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. You see, honestly, to be quite honest, historically speaking, if you go back 3,000 years ago, and if you want to see wealth, even with the greatness of Solomon, uh, there are other places you probably would be going. I mean, Persia, Greece. I mean, I know Solomon had massive wealth, and he had massive wisdom. Scripture tells us this. But at the time, there's probably some other kingdoms you probably could have went to um, that would have even more wealth. Um, we, we kind of forget this, but, you know, Israel and the tribes of Israel um, are, are kind of like this tucked away wilderness people. They're sandwiched between two great powers, Egypt and Assyria, uh, or Persia. Uh, and, you know, it's not necessarily the place of massive wealth. Although at the time of Solomon, it reached its zenith, and the scripture discusses that. What I'm just trying to portray to you is that, like, if the Queen of Sheba was looking to check out some really abundant wealth, I don't know if Judea would be the place. But we see something. In Judea, in Jerusalem, she saw biblical abundance. And at the time, 3,000 years ago, it's actually the only location on planet Earth where you could witness biblical abundance. You go to Persia, you may see abundance, but you're surely not going to see biblical abundance. You could go to Greece... But you're surely not going to see biblical abundance. We have to remind ourselves that the rest of the world is in darkness. Who are the only ones that are really serving Yahweh? His firstborn people. So to see biblical abundance, there's only one place you can go. 
Judea, Jerusalem. And it's there that she becomes breathless. It's there that she is awed before it all. And when I think, maybe it, I think historically it must have been a complete, utter astonishment to her as a queen. And when she goes into Solomon's courts, what really keeps her breathless is the countenance, the joy, and the happiness of his workers, of his servants. You see, when she shows up there, man, this is, this is not like modern day world with unions and labor laws and minimum wage laws and all this kind of stuff, right? This is, this is not that age. And you have a servant, a slave, a worker in the house of the king, and she sees that their countenance is joyful and they have happiness. I believe this is really the biblical version of what really abundance should be. That everyone in your household, everyone in your corporation, everyone at work, Everyone in the church that comes in contact with you is a benefactor of the joy and the abundant presence of the Lord. There's only one place you can get that 3,000 years ago. I believe this is really the, the revisiting of abundance, and I think this is really the, 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 the truth of the matter in the biblical view. So what should we, what, what is this Abundance. I know this is going to be hard for some of us, but you got to understand, there's only a couple of nations on planet Earth where you can actually fill the coffers with the notion of a complete 110% prosperity theology. Like, go to China and preach prosperity theology. Go to Iran. Go to Afghanistan and Pakistan and North Korea. And be like, listen, if you just pray to the Lord and you put your tithe in, the Lord is going to give back to you completely abundantly and you're going to become very wealthy. Like, this is a Western church theology. If you say this to the third world church, those that are being persecuted, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Now, let me give some clarity before I, you know, get the emails, right? Does the Lord want to bless us? Of course he does. There's so many scripture verses that talk about us being abundantly blessed. Abraham was blessed, right? Owned a cattle on a thousand hills. I get that. But here's the reality, man. Did Paul the apostle own a thousand cattle on a thousand hills? Like when he's getting his head chopped off, could he be like, where's my abundant blessing, Lord? So we have to be careful. Because I'm going to be quite frank with you, there's a lot of the Western church theology that comes from a lot of the Western church culture. And until you go to Kenya, until you go to Yemen, until you go to Saudi Arabia, until you go to the West Bank, until you go to North Korea, until you go to Pakistan, Afghanistan, until you go to much of the known world and you take a look at the plight of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a difficulty in, in the process. But I do want to clarify that the Lord does have an envisioning of abundance. But I think that really what we need to do is we need to revisit the notion of abundance. He doesn't want you to lack. But what is abundance? Right? So so many of us have a notion in our mind that it's, that it's well, it's wealth. Well, if it, well, abundance was just wealth, I think Queen of Sheba would not be taken back in awe. 
It's more holistic than that. Okay? So, what do we do with our abundance? I really do believe that the notion that we see with King Solomon impacting, 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 impacting even his workers. Come on, kings would just look the other way at their servants. This is a man who is impacting them to the point that they have a good countenance. And so I believe we as believers, right, when we look at abundance, it should not be just like I need more money and I'm promised more money. It should be like I am promised a countenance in his spirit that allows me impact. And here's the reality. We should be impacting others. And in fact, we should be changing the atmosphere around us. That's what Solomon did. That's what the queen saw. Oh my goodness, look at this. Look, the abundant factor should be that if you're in a concentration camp and there is no monetary abundance, that there are inmates that see the joy of the Lord in you and they accept the gospel. If we are walking in the abundance of Christ, we should be in a concentration camp in that scenario uh, 70 years ago and uh, Nazi officials are falling to their knees, weeping before the presence of the living God. Yeah, we got to be like abundance, like little Corey Tamboons. That's what we need to be. We need abundance and be like a little bit like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, right? That's what we're talking about. Not just give me my paycheck. I want to walk with a power and authority and a love and a joy that whom I come in contact with, they are indelibly impacted for the rest of their lives because they came in contact with a son of the living God. One of his priests. That's what the Lord wants to release in the Western church. Not that you have more money. Psalm 23, come on, the proof text for this stuff. I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 23, 5 rather. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And in that presence you give me a whole bunch of money to buy favor. No, I... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. What is it running over with? It's running over with oil. Shekinah. Anointing oil. In the presence of my enemies, you're giving me an extra dose of the Holy Ghost. And my cup is filled, it's filled to such a place of abundance that it overflows and impacts even my enemies. This is the notion of praying for your enemies. Yeah, you pray for your enemies. You love your enemies. Because what you want to do is you want the impact that you have in him and the abundance of the Holy Spirit and the joy and the countenance of the Lord to be changing atmosphere. Amen? Come on. Galatians 6, right? Bear one another. Bear one another's burdens so that you can fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2, one of my favorite verses. I had some buddies last night that uh, bore some silly burdens of mine. But, you know, you ask a question, when was the last time you bore another person's burden? When was the other time that you, one of those times that you have fulfilled the law of Christ? Filling the law of Christ is bearing burden. The, 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 the filling the law of Christ is overflowing your cup so you make impact. Changing countenances. Come on, man, I'm just going to be real with you. We are supposed to be light in a, in a dark world that when you show up to pa parent-teacher night, you know, the, the teachers are awed at the atmosphere and the presence that you have. Right? 
We're supposed to be living in a world whereby we carry ourselves in such a way that people noticeably see a difference. Not only do they see a difference, their countenance with you is changed. Because you are kings and you are queens in the house of the Lord. And there are simple workers out there that don't even know yet. But their countenance should be impacted by us. Amen? So look, it's, it's not just an issue of the notion of wealth. Right? It's not about just the wealth. It's about an overall holistic view of Scripture. Um, we, we take a look here in Proverbs uh, chapter 30. This is going to wreck some of your theology, right, if you haven't. If you haven't read this one before. And I know, we don't make proof texts out of just one scripture, right? The mystery of Agur, the son of Yake. I don't know if you ever did a study on Agur and the son of Yakur. Yake. I think the Yake means precious, I believe. But the words of Agur, the son of Jaka, or Yake. His utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and to Yukal. Verse 7. Here, this is, this is fire. Two things I request of you, Lord. Two things I request that you do not deprive me, not before I die. Listen to this. This is, this is a man of God going to the Father, praying and saying, these are two things that I'm asking that you do not deprive me of. You can ask, it's like, you know, two wishes, right, in your prayer. Someone's like, he's got two wishes, right? The genie in the bottle. I got two wishes. Two things, Lord. Don't deprive me of these things before I die. Two things, please. What would be the two things that you would ask and request of the Lord? Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Well, I like that. Lord, I ask. Not for the money, not for the house, not for the car. Not for, Lord, I ask one thing. Please remove any falsehood and lies from my character and from my being. You just wasted one wish on that? It's like Aladdin, right? It's like, yes, you did. Oh, you did. I love this. The second wish. Give me neither poverty nor riches. What? Give me neither poverty nor riches? I get the poverty part, but riches, really? I'm not making complete theology out of this, right? I mean, listen to the heart of this guy, Agur, that no one preaches on. Listen to his heart. It's such a pure heart. Lord, my heart, I want it to be so pure. I want you to take any falsehood, any lie from me and get, get rid of it. I don't want it here. And two, by the way, please, don't make me poor, but also don't make me rich. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. Dang. Listen to his heart. I don't, want to, I don't want you to make me too rich. I don't want you to make me too luxurious. I don't want you to give me too much, because if I do, I may begin to what? Fall away from you, because I can build up my own kingdom. I can take care of myself. Come on. Anyone ever, ever evangelized to very, very wealthy? It's like, I don't need God. I am my own God. This is what he said. Don't let me become one of those. I don't want too much money. I don't want too much. And, and because I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and then begin to steal 
And now profane the name of the Lord. What's he saying? Right? It's kind of like, I want to be a middle class Middle Easterner. You know, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what he's saying. Right? But this is the notion, right? It's a heart content. My abundance is not to be one of just wealth. My, uh, uh, of monetary means. My abundance is to be one of character. Of anointing. Of impact. That's what we need in the church. No one cares about your money. God doesn't care about your money. God doesn't care about you making money and giving it away. What he cares is your character, your heart, and your countenance. Okay. So, I told you, I've been on this like weird journey of reading weird books. It's part of me being a high school teacher, but it's also me just being a little strange at times. The Lord speaks to me in weird ways. Come on. Did not the Lord teach by walking the fields? Did he not teach by being in touch with the seasons? Did he not teach and say, pick up, you know, look at this grain. Look at this fish. Look at the fallow ground. How beautiful it is to be like, you know, how about we just learn about the Lord by like real life experiences and circumstances that are surrounding us in this world and not through like, you know, uh, Gruden systematic theology. You know what I mean? Some of you got that joke, right? All right? Like it's, you know, it's, it's the beauty of the Lord. And so I'm going to attempt that. How wolves change rivers. In the 1990s, they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone Park. And mankind realized that God has an order. And they realized that man has the power to throw off ecosystems. I'm here to tell you that man has the power to throw off spiritual ecosystems. We need to start looking at the church, the body, the community, the kingdom of God as not a tower of Babel, but rather an ecosystem. If we can go uh, to the video uh, to the 52nd part, because the first is just 50 seconds of wolves howling. I want to save you from that. Now, we, we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years. That the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park. And despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. 
the number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes. And as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed on it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. Here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Right. So, the introduction of one species that was absent in a very large park changed the entire ecosystem. And not only that, but it actually impacted all the other species, largely in a positive way, outside of being eaten by a wolf. It's, it's thinning the herd and it's creating this entire beautiful ecosystem. Here's the thing, here's the spiritual principle, right? There are things and there are people that we need and people types that we need in the church and in the community to create an appropriate ecosystem. We need to be viewing the church life and the community of God and the kingdom of God more like this ecosystem so that we can, in fact, change the course of rivers. They ch it, the, the wolves' impact in such a way made such an impact on other species that the rivers actually now changed their course and there was not as much flooding. There is not as much soil erosion. It created a healthier, more vibrant environment. It's actually quite amazing. And so, fine, what, what am I doing here, right? I, I believe that we, in our abundance in the West, we need to revisit abundance and take a look at abundance in the church in a more holistic manner. See, the reality here is the West in general, outside of even the church. The West is not a holistic, all-encompassing culture. We're really not. I mean, we have tons of money, but we have horrible health. Horrible health. Cancer rates are unparalleled in the world. The diabetes rates are unparalleled in the world. The obesity rates are unparalleled in the world. Like, you literally can't find another society that has as much of that type of uh, lack of health uh, with that, we, we put lots of, lots of attention on career, 
but we don't have any time. We don't have any free time. We, we have a seemingly a fixation on power, but yet a lack of mental health and increases of violence and murder. I mean, I'm, I don't want to necessarily bash America. I mean, I love America, but like, if you take a look at the stats, man, our highest violent, I mean, United States of America is more violent than Saudi Arabia. It's 400 murders a year in Philadelphia. Like, people literally are like, can I go to America and be safe? They're like, we have, amongst industrialized nations, we have some of the worst elements of crime and violence and drug use. We have more citizens incarcerated than any other nation on planet Earth. Over 2 million people incarcerated. This is not, this is not a holistic, healthy society when you take a look at it from spiritual principles. I think largely the West as a society, we look to external abundance while negating the internal needs. And we have to be careful that that does not leak into the church, which I, I am afraid that it already has. We know the scripture says that we need each other. We are a body, right? But my experience in the church world has been this. There, there's nothing about us that's holistic. In fact, there's so much about us that's just extreme. Right? The, 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 the worship camp, I'm not saying anyone here, but general principle, like, the worship camp, it's like, it's all about worship. And so then let's forget about evangelism and teaching. And then you got, like, the teaching people who, like, forget about worship. Uh, and then you got, like, the 24-7 prayer people that, that may forget about community and interacting with the surrounding environment and, and all of that, right? It's, Americans are black and white, right? It's one or the other. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate uh, because that's not the way that a healthy ecosystem works. Examples, and maybe you have had a different experience, but I've found that in the church and in church ministry, we have a tendency to uplift the extrovert and downplay the introvert. Any introverts out there like, heck yeah? We, we seem to praise those that are loud, not put the same value on those people that are quiet and meek. We put so much emphasis and so much advertising into those people that are loud, opinionated, boisterous, charismatic, and we forget about the quiet, the reserve, and the reflected, reflective. Right? In Western culture, we like the loud. We like the, 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 the charismatic. We like the energy. We like that. We like that. We like that. America was founded off of that, but it's leaked into the church. I'm telling you something, there could be someone up here with a microphone that's speaking really loud and has, you know, seemingly a lot of energy, but, you know, there's a little old lady in the back row that's got 60 years of prayer life. Guess who I want to talk to? It's a person that may be really quick to grab the microphone and give a word. But then there's a, a quiet person. Deep waters run quiet. It's so sad. We lift it up. It's actually quite embarrassing from a heavenly perspective, I think. And so I think really, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I think the church in large, really at large, but I have no impact on that, so I have to have an impact on you guys and myself. I think the church really needs to repent from making type A personalities the man of God while downplaying type B personalities. We lift up the type A guy, the type A girl. Man, come on. What about that mom that's at home, homeschooling? you know, wrestling out in the trenches of the kingdom of God. 
You think you're a mighty man of God when you grab a microphone and you can preach? Let me tell you something. You go spend a day with three kids and we'll see what kind of anointing you really have. You want patience? You want perseverance? Go hang out with kids. You would. Because I'm saying, like, it's, it's, it's really, it's actually, and I don't mean to get so judgmental, I'm sorry, to, I don't even mean for it to come out this way, but it sounds like it's coming out this way, but you know, here's the thing, man, have you arrived? Have you arrived in your place with the Lord when you're now a leader of a ministry? Is that when you have arrived? Is the pastor, these are good questions to ask, is the pastor and a church more successful when it gets larger? Now, in the Western world, absolutely. The Lord corrected me real quick. I remember, like, Lord, what am I doing here? I'm sweating out. I'm bivocational. I'm, it gets tough sometimes. It's a church of 50 people. We're doing all this kind of stuff. Like, what's the deal? Like, don't I get a promotion? And he's like, what if this is your promotion? I was like, what do you mean, Lord? He's like, what if those people in a megachurch couldn't handle being bivocational and dealing with the nuances of a small church? Why is it that you think that if there's a church of 1,000 people, that's actually the place of success? Maybe those people are there because that's what they need, but I have you where you are because that's what you can handle. You have the character to be able to dog it out in the trenches. And I'm not saying this to negate or to, to, to say... You know, say something against megachurches, but it's a, a perception of what is success. Once you lead worship up there, that is now successful. Once you have a microphone, now you're successful in the Word. Come on. What you have just done is fallen into the trap of lifting up type A personalities and extroverts. What's successful when you have an encounter with the living God at 4.30 in the morning before you go to work in prayer? That's success. What's success when you, when, you, when you wake up and you go to your job and you're there and there's someone who is broken and you put a smile on their face? That's success. Come on, man. Preaching to a bunch of people that are saved? I don't know if that's success. You're all saved. What success is preaching to someone at work? What success is stopping your car and helping someone with a flat tire? What success is consoling your little one when they're going through a hard time without you blowing up. That's success in of the abundance of a culture of Jesus. But we've adopted such a Western business mindset. Man, it's bad. I would say this. I believe that you have arrived when you finally see your community and yourself as a spiritual ecosystem. I need you. You need me. My body needs my soul to be healed. My soul and spirit needs my body and my mind to be healed. You see, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, it's an ecosystem. Got a lot of people in the church, man, who apparently have a whole bunch of like really healthy, 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 fertile spirits. What about your mind? What about your emotions? And then, of course, the biggest one that everyone gets mad at me about what about your body? We are an ecosystem. The church is an ecosystem. The kingdom of God is an ecosystem. You as an individual are an ecosystem. You need your spouse. Your spouse needs you. You need your kids. Your kids need you. And if you want to see success, it's when your children wake up in the morning and there's a smile on their face because they have the love of the Lord. 
And if you don't have kids, that's beautiful as well. That means like the people that you interact with, they are drawn to you because there's a countenance upon you so that when there is a queen that shows up to see the abundance of your life, you can point them to the very least of them and say, look how special they are. Look how they feel. Look how they act. Look at the joy that is on their life. Right? That's what I'm talking. That is godly biblical abundance. Fertile fields create fertile people. Fertile soil creates strong men and women. Whoever is uh, doing the closing, I don't know who it is, but you can come on down. It'd be a good time to do one of those little pauses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And this is really tying into what Ruth was speaking on last week. I love this. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is, here it is, any virtue. If there's any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I want to highlight the word virtue. Okay? 2 Peter 1.5 picks up on this notion. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Look, there is this thing, man, with the apostles with the notion of virtue. And we're going back a while, so, so long ago that many of you were not here for that sermon series. But the, the Greek word here for virtue is the word arete. Okay? Uh, and uh, Greek philosophers would use that, and that's why Paul and Peter are using it as well. And what does the arete mean? The arete Greek word is, we, we, we translate it as excellence or virtue. But this is always the problem, right, of translations. What it really means in Greek is excellence. But it's an excellence in body, soul, and spirit. And so I really do believe when the apostles are talking about virtue, they're talking about character. They're talking about character in all things. They're talking about character in a holistic approach to life. Right? Being abundant in all things. Body, mind, spirit, Arate, virtue, meditate on excellence in those things, in the abundance. First Thessalonians says it this way, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Lord, I mean, right off the bat, how many of us are like, Lord, I'm saved, but can you sanctify me even more? Right, progressive sanctification being molded and transformed in the image of Christ. From glory to glory to we see him face to face. Transformation. That's what happened at Yellowstone. There was a transformation. Sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A holistic approach. I want sanctity in spirit, soul, and body. And this is really a connection between these things. And I think it's a connection to what uh, Ruth was talking about last week. And that is the notion of emotional and spiritual health. You take a little barometer on yourself. Do I have appropriate holistic abundance in my life? Emotionally. Spiritually. Take a look at your life. 
Do people want to be around you? When people are around you, are their countenances changed? A couple questions. How do you think about yourself? How do you relate to others? How do you relate to God? Are you offended easily? Do you get panicked easy? Do you get bitter easy? Do you raise your voice easily? Do you roll your eyes easily? Do you get bitter? I don't know, man. I want to be an agger. Son of Yake. There's two things. Let me not deny you. Let me have godly character. Come on. The Christian walk is one where we say like King David, please, I beg of you, show me my presumptuous sins. I want to be transformed into your image, Jesus. I want to transform my little garden of Eden that you've given me. So how do we get transformed? There's a lot of different ways. How do we engage our spiritual life as if it's a true ego, ecosystem? There's a couple ways. Let me just highlight two. The first is, I do believe we need to go to the Lord and say, I want to be transparent before me. Show me my presumptuous sins. Those sins that I don't know about. Those faults in character that need to be worked on. Then a second one. You need relationship. Wolves operate in a pack. It's the same with the Christian walk. An isolated man seeks his own desires, says Proverbs 18. You got to run with someone. It's part of being in an ecosystem. If you're a lone wolf, enemy's going to pick you off and kill you. We need to be involved in a community with others so we can have this holistic approach to the kingdom so we can hold each other accountable and maybe even more importantly help each other I don't mean like hey let's just hang out I mean being vulnerable opening yourself up I have two friends they both had similar experiences and similar sins one was not vulnerable and they're largely still living in that sin. The other was completely, utterly, completely broken and vulnerable. And that person has been completely transformed. Completely transformed. Two different people. Two different views. If you're struggling with a sin, if you're struggling with a character flaw, I would say that we just, you probably haven't looked at the system holistically. You need to go to a brother, you need to go to a sister, you need to say, I'm an open book, come help me. If you can't do that, with all due respect, you're not spiritually and emotionally healthy. You think someone's going to judge you, or you think that you can do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. If you did it on your own, it wouldn't be a problem anymore, would it? Would have been fixed a year ago, or five years ago, or a decade ago. Come on, I've, I've been there. 
do it on my own. No, you won't. I'm going to do it with me and the Lord. No, you won't. You need to go to a brother or sister. This is what it means to be in an ecosystem. Come on. Deuteronomy 32.30. How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 the flight? Come on. There's victory in numbers, right? There's power in numbers. And it really comes down to this. By healing your ecosystem and by healing the church ecosystem, we will change the course of the river. And this is what it's about. Lord, I want to get healthy. Lord, I want my church to be healthy. Because if we do that, we're going to change the course, not of rivers, but of the river. Which river? Come on. Psalm 46, 8. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High God. We have the ability, if we approach the kingdom of God as an ecosystem, I know it's silly, but it's profound. It's how Jesus taught. Just like those wolves in Yellowstone, you can set a course and a river, not of a park, but of a nation and of a generation to see the living streams and glad tidings of a living God. It only happens when there's an ecosystem. We view scripture as an ecosystem, not as a ladder. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. I know this is prophetic. I know that this is at the end of the age. But I think there is a present principle, prophetic principle to this. Right? When you are living by the pure river, because the heat ecosystem is safe, you're coming out of the throne room of God. And in the middle of the river, in the middle of the street, there are fruits that bear, there are trees that bear fruit that feed the nations. Feed the nations. This isn't like apple trees that they're actually going to be fed. This is a spiritual principle. We have the ability to change ecosystems whereby we can recourse the river where we will see revival where we will see sustenance. Amen? I right, always stand. Lord, we come before you and we want to be a people that have a holistic mind and spirit and soul. Father, we want to be a people that view abundance in a different way. We want a people that view abundance as a way of impact. And so, Father, I pray for healing right now. Living streams of water of healing to flow in our midst. 
Father, I pray that there would be a baptism, a baptism into this type of thinking. That we would desire to be in community, that we would desire to be vulnerable. Lord, that we would reevaluate abundance to be a people that can impact atmosphere, that can impact the countenances of our, of our loved ones and our families and our house, houses. So when people come over, they, they sense it just like Queen of Sheba. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus. Well, Father, I pray health right now in Jesus' name. Mental health right now. Emotional health right now. Yes, Lord. And if you have struggles, we have people who have been trained and have specialized in, in prayers, in sessions of spiritual deliverance and emotional deliverance. Think of Laura Ronaldo, Pastor Josh. Ruth has even offered up and said, hey, you know, I, I will help. I want to see people be, 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 be made well holistically. Jesus 
just sing that out one more time Jesus be the center this is what it's about he being the author of the emotion he being the author of that which is in the mind come on let this be our heart our hearts desire for abundance that we can be abundantly rooted in the center of Jesus his character his countenance his compassion Come on guys, this is, 
This was not in the script for today. But that's the cool part. I just feel that the Lord just wants to release something right now. For us to get re-centered in Him. Not to be centered on the things of the world. That we would get re-centered on His idea of abundance and not the way that the world sees it. For us to have our emotions healed right now. Come on. For our spirits to be renewed. For our minds to be renewed into His image. For us to be like Proverbs 30 with anger that just says, Lord, I want my character, I want my faults, my idols to be purged from my deep parts of my man. We're going to have uh, Laura Ronaldo come on down, Pastor Josh. Just feeling like if, you, if you've been holding on, you've been holding on to the wrong thing for too long. If you've been holding on saying, I got this one, I got this, I can do it. Come on, I'm telling you, be re-centered and be free. Get some liberty. When we come vulnerable before the Lord and say, you know what, I've tried. I've tried for months. I've tried for years. I've tried for decades. I simply cannot do it anymore. I'm telling you right now, that's where Jesus wants you. Right there. I can't do it on my own. That is the exact place that Jesus wants you. That's the place of Lordship. That's the place of the crucifix. That's the place of the power of the resurrection. I am undone before you. I can't do it on my own anymore. I'm inviting you. Power of the blood of Jesus. The power of the resurrection. The power of the blood of the Lamb of God. I am vulnerable before you. You need to be my center right now. Just come on down and receive that in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name. Rock it out. Fire. Power of God. The power of God set you free. Be the center, oh God. Be the center, oh God.
my vision Be my path Be my God Jesus Jesus Be the 
much more freedom one can get than the belief and the theolo theological truth I can't do it like do you hear how freeing that is like I can't earn my salvation how freeing that is you, know, you, could, you could do everything that you ever wanted perfectly right and it still would not be good enough. How freeing it is. I can't do anything to earn salvation. And then how wonderful it is. I, I can't really do anything to deliver myself from my bad ways or my evil inclinations or my faulty character or my struggles it is the most amazing message it's the most amazing good news i got this 
like Jesus coming down on the cross. He's like, hold my wine. I got this. Right? I got this. You don't have to do it. I don't want you to do it. I, the Son of God, have been waiting all of eternity to come down to earth and to be put on a cross and to die and to be resurrected and then go to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. I, that's my whole purpose. This is what I've always been around to do. So I got this. Oh Lord, thank you that it is so freeing and there is so much liberty that the answer to transformation, that the answer to restoration is for us as human beings to just simply say, I can't do it. And here he comes rushing in by his spirit and says, I got this. I'm gonna put that, I'm gonna put that on a t-shirt. Here's my heavenly, hold my heavenly wine. I got this. Woo! All right, we're going to officially close out service, but if you're being ministered to, please feel free to just reside as the team continues to play a little bit. You work your way over to the cafe if you like. If we can just shut the bifold doors so we can keep it a little quiet. I just want to really make sure that we keep this atmosphere right here just a holy time. If you have any, if you have any side conversations, please, we love that. Just please do it out in the lobby or in the cafe. Have a wonderful week. See you guys Wednesday and or Sunday. Be blessed.